Right, we're in week two of this uh, series called Annoying People. And, and last week we talked about people who are critical and seem to criticize a lot. And so, uh, you know, just negative words come out of their mouth all the time. And so we talked about them, about how to respond to them. And by the way, if you haven't heard yet, we're recording these messages and we have them online now. And we always post it on Facebook when it, when it goes live. And so you can find it there or you can go to our website and there's a link down at the bottom of the home page on there so you can click on that and listen to it if you want to if you happen to miss a Sunday and want to see what's been going on here we've, we're making that available to you next week we're, we're, we're going to talk about people who are controlling and people who uh, <coughs> manipulate a lot of times and today though we're going to talk about people who are always in a continual state of need and the, they're the type of people that seem to suck the energy right out of you and you know before I get in before we get into this I just want to say that um, as Jesus followers we're supposed to care right we're, we're, we're supposed to care about people and we're supposed to, to help the the down and out for those people who are in need for those people who are poor we should be willing to do that you know, we, we want to help them and we're supposed to do that and you might know somebody now in your life, it's in your circle of friends, your circle of life, who is in need. They, they have some needs, and they're, they're, you're very aware of that, that, that that is a situation they find themselves in. And it's also kind of an irony of life that those people who are legitimately in need are those oftentimes who are most embarrassed to ask for it. And so if, uh, if you know somebody in need, that is need, needing something, then I just want to say, do them a favor and help them out without them asking. All right, because you know it's there, so go ahead and help them out. But um, we're not talking about that category of people, you know, those, those people like that. We're going to address people who seem overly needy. And people who don't really try to help themselves. That's the type of person we're talking about today. Uh, they've, they've been called emotional vampires, which I think is a pretty good description of them because they just seem to suck the lifeblood out of you. You know, and they're always doing things and you're looking at them like, really? I mean, come on, are you serious? And, you know, they, they just they suck the energy right out of you. And I'm sure that we all in here know somebody... Uh, Maybe now or at some point in our life, we've known somebody like that. And I've seen these type of people described in four different categories. And I want to share these categories with you because these, these make a lot of sense. And the, the, the first group, they're on your listening guide. They're called the consistently insecure. They're the consistently insecure people. And they're the ones that if you haven't seen them for a few minutes, you know, they're wondering if everything's okay in between you two. Did I offend you? You know, I texted you like five minutes ago and you haven't texted back. Are you mad at me? You hate me now, don't you? You know, are we good? Is there something is there something going on here? Do you know anybody insecure? Anybody know anybody insecure like that? The next group is called the drama queens. Or in instant or in you know, in all fairness, drama kings. You know, drama there's drama kings too. They blow everything out of proportion. And they're the ones that say things like you never guess what's going to. What, you, you're never going to guess what happened to me. No, it was the worst thing ever. And you know they just blow things out of proportion. Do you know any drama queens or kings? Are any of you a drama king or queen? <laughs> All right. 
Next group, probably my favorite one to talk about anyway, is the blabbers. Blah, 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 blah. They just never shut up. You know, they're always talking about everything. Their mouth is always, always running. And the funny thing about blabbers is they'll tell you stories about people in the, like at their work or in their life that you don't even know. And they're telling you stories about them like you know them, you know, like you're best friends with them. And they, they'll, they'll say things like, well, Jim went over here and did that. And Bob was like, I can't believe Jim just did that. But Carol's better friends with Jim. But that doesn't mean anything because she's, her best friend is Rachel. And you're like... What's going on? Why are you talking to me about this? No, you can't follow their train of thought. And these are also the type of people that can drop, that can drag a two-minute phone call out into like a 15 to 20-minute phone call. They're the blabbers. Do you know anybody like that? You guys know any blabbers? And then the, 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 the final group, the financial leeches. And these people are continual, continually in need and it's usually because of just stupid decisions that they've made. Nobody pays me a good enough salary. No, they, they, they don't pay me enough. I'm not getting what I deserve. And they always seem to be taking, and it's always somebody else's fault. Now we could probably create more categories to add to this if we, if we wanted to. You know, like maybe cat owners. You know, we, could, we could throw them in there too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I hope you cat owners don't take offense to my cat jokes. So. But these are the main four. You know, these, these are the four that I've heard. And it gets really confusing here because when we talk about these, these type of people, because we want to be compassionate, don't we? As human beings, we naturally want to be compassionate. More importantly, as Jesus followers, we want to do what's right. You know, we want to share the love of Jesus. We want to care for them. We want to be helpful towards people in need because we're called to do that, and we want to do that. And as a result, there's this tension that we experience a lot of times that goes on in our, in our life. And this is what the tension looks like. is that we, we want to help, but we don't want to enable them to be dependent upon us. And so we want to do the right amount of assistance, but we don't want to do too much. And what happens then is we may try to help. Now we may try to do something, whatever it is, but in their minds they were expecting something more or they were expecting something different. And even though you may be making some kind of sacrifice and you are making a legitimate effort to try to help them out, they feel ungrateful because they think that you could do more. And so as a result of that, we feel used and abused, and we pull back, and then we start to feel guilty. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about here? You want to do what you are supposed to do, but you're afraid to do too much, or you're afraid to you know, you know, do not enough, and then where's the balance in this? That's the tension. That's a tension we have to address. And believe it or not, Jesus experienced this in His own life and in His ministry. Let's look at Him in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And if you, if you go back and look at this chapter, He just got done healing a bunch of people. Now, He just did a bunch of miracles. And then it says this in verse 36. It says, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus had compassion for them. And the word translated compassion here 
The New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word that's translated compassion here means that it, this feeling comes from deep within him. It means, it means like a tender mercy. And it was the most intense word they could have used to describe the kind of compassion he, that he had. Yeah, we kind of lose a little bit of that in the, in the translation there. But Jesus was moved that way. The, the, the most compassionate that he, that he could be, that's what he felt towards him. And Jesus cared more for people than anybody who's ever lived. Okay, now I think this is on your listening guide. Jesus cared more for anyone else. No, he, he cared more than anyone else. But here's the tension. Jesus did not heal everyone. And he did not grant every request that came towards him. And that's the tension. And Jesus cared a lot. Cared more than anybody else. But he didn't help everybody. He didn't do that. He didn't heal every sickness. So what I can't do for you today, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do this today, is give you, you know, these five steps or three steps or whatever. Say, here's what you do every time somebody, you know, somebody who's overly needy. This is how you, this is how you settle this. Because what you have to do is you have to leave some room for God to work in these situations and God to speak to you and, and lead you in what to do because you know, every situation is different. So as we try to help people, what we need to do is we, we have to live within this tension knowing that God has to direct us each and every time. Because like I said, each and every situation is different. So our goal as Jesus followers is we want to help without enabling. Okay, and when people are overly needy and, you know, we, we help when we can, we, we, we do what we can, but we don't want to train them to depend on us. Okay, we don't, we don't want to do that. So we want to help them without enabling them. And to do that, we're going to look at some biblical principles today. And the, the first one is this. We offer them what they need, not what they want. We offer them what they need, not what they want. Because when a person is in a state of being overly needy, what they want and what they need are two different things. A lot of times they're, they're two different things. We see this in Acts chapter 3. There's this guy who'd been crippled and... He did what, you know, what people did, uh, many people in his situation, is he became a beggar. Okay, that's all he could do back then. He would go to the temple gate, and as people were entering into the temple, he would ask them for money to see if they could help him in any way. And so this one particular day, this guy was at his post doing what he did, and then Peter and John, they come walking in, going into the temple to pray, and this guy, this beggar, this crippled beggar, he asked Peter for some money. But Peter didn't give him what he asked for. Let's read this. This is in Acts chapter 3. We'll start at verse 6. It said, But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, get up and walk. Now pay special attention to this next sentence here. It says, And Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now this is a classic example here of giving a hand up. Okay, and not a handout. 
Peter didn't give him what he wanted, but instead he gave him what he needed. Peter, through the power of God, okay, obviously through God's help, he provided healing for this guy and gave him what he really needed. Now, when a person is overly needy, oftentimes they will want something and they will believe with all their heart that that is what they need. Okay, this, this, is, this is what I need, this is what I want. When the truth of the matter is, if you're letting God direct you and you're praying to God and talking to God about it, He's going to give you some wisdom. He'll give you some insight to say, hey, this may be what they want, but what they need is this over here. That's something a little different. So how do we do this? Okay, let's, let's get real practical here. How, how do we give them what they need and not what they want? First thing we got to do is identify the real need. Identify the real need. Now, what's the real need? That's something we've got to ask God, God's help with. You know, he's got to reveal that to us. For example, they may say, say something like, I want you to spend more time with me, when in reality what they need is just more friends. Okay, they, they might need a, a larger group of friends. They may say something like, I need you to help me with my $400 a month car payment, when what they really need is a budget and a thousand dollar car paid for with cash, you know, instead of a twenty-five thousand dollar car with a monthly four hundred dollar payment. You know, that's what they you know, what they want and what they need, two different things. They may want something, but what they need is something different. And the second thought about this is we gotta pay attention to actions, not words. Pay attention to their actions. Because when we're trying to help somebody who's overly needy, their actions and words a lot of times don't line up. For instance, they may say, I can't get a, I can't get a job. No, I, I can't find a job. But their actions might say, I haven't looked for a job. Yeah, I, haven't even, I haven't even looked. Or they may say, nobody will hire me when you know very well that there's three restaurants in town that's hiring people. You know, you've seen the banners up and you've seen that. And so what they're really saying is that job is beneath me. You know, I don't want to do that job. And so they may need to learn the discipline of, you know what, it might be better to make minimum wage or you know, a little less than what I think that I, that I need or deserve. It might be better to make that than sitting at home making nothing. So we need to look at their actions and not just their words. Or they may say something like, nobody will go out with me. You know, I can't get a date when, when their actions say, I haven't taken a bath, I haven't shaved, I haven't brushed my teeth in over a month. Actions and words, they don't match up. So when we're trying to help, pay attention to their actions and not just their words. So we're going to offer them what they need. We're going to offer what they need. And then thought number two is we're going to set healthy boundaries. We've got to set healthy boundaries here. And the Bible tells us, tells us another story about Jesus. It's in Mark chapter 1. It says, Before daybreak... The next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, Jesus knew, okay, this shows us here, Jesus knew that he had to be alone, had to be by himself, he had to spend time in prayer in order to be spiritually healthy. Okay, he had to do that. Then look at what happens here. It goes on, verse 36, says, Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Now, what are you doing? What are you doing out here all by yourself? Everybody's looking for you. 
Jesus knew that he needed that time alone if he was going to be healthy, if he's going to be worth anything, if he's going to be able to help anybody. And he knew that even while everybody else, according to Peter, was looking for him. Okay, he, he knew that. You've got to set healthy boundaries. And we've got to do this because if you're not healthy, what good are you going to be? No, you're not going to be able to help anybody. There's a couple different boundaries that we need to set, and these are on your listening guide. First one, we've got to set specific time boundaries. You've got to set this time boundary. You've got to set it up front. For example, you may say something like, you know, I can meet with you at this time for one hour, for an hour and a half, you know, whatever time you want to say, and then say, then at this time i got to go because I've got something else I need to do. Set a, set a healthy time boundary. One day I was, I was in my office back at a, at a previous ministry, and I had somebody call me up one day, and I mean, it was urgent. You could just sense the urgency in their voice because their life was falling apart. You know, it, was, it, was, it was crumbling down around me. They needed me to come over right then to talk with them, and I told them I couldn't. I was in my office. I was doing, doing sermon, sermon prep. No, I wasn't watching YouTube. No, I wasn't watching videos or anything like that. You know, I was doing I was doing some sermon preps. So I said, you know, I can't leave right now. Can't come over, but I can meet you tomorrow at this time. And tried to set up a time with them. You know, I didn't want to enable them. Now it goes along with that uh, saying that lack of planning on your part doesn't create an emergency on my part. You know, it's that that kind of thing right there. I didn't want to enable them. So we got to set time boundaries, and then we got to set resource boundaries. You tell people up front what they can expect, you know, what you're willing and what you're able to do. And you do this so they don't become dependent upon you in the long haul. So you may say something like, okay, I can give you $100 this month. I give you $100 next month. Then that's all I can do. No, that's it. You set these healthy resource boundaries. So we help with what they need, not with what they want. Then we set boundaries. And this next one's probably the toughest one of all to follow through with. Okay, and it's important, it's important that we do this. And we must love them enough to do this one. And that's number three. Allow them to face their consequences. So that's a form of love. That's hard, but it's a form of love there. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7. It says, don't be misled. Now, what, what he's doing here is he's giving them a warning that you cannot ignore God. Okay, because you, you cannot ignore God and get away with it because there's going to be some consequences. So he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, some versions say that phrase there, you reap what you sow. That's probably the one we've heard more. You reap what you sow, however you say it. It means you can't get away from the consequences. Right, there's always consequences there. And it says, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So the Bible shows us that there's, act- or there's consequences to our actions. There's consequences to our decisions. And you will reap what you sow. It's a fact of life. And you know, it's a principle in the Bible. If you sow according to your sinful nature, what are you going to reap? 
consequences that aren't so much fun. You know, some bad stuff. You're, that, that's going to come. And one of the most loving things that we can do, especially as parents, you know, this, this, this is a hard one here, is not interrupt that process of God's natural consequences. That's hard to do. Especially when you love somebody a lot. Because you want to save them from that pain, but again, like I said, it can be loving to actually allow that to happen. And we see a good example of this in Luke chapter 15. And this is the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, or the son who, who ran away. Now he had two sons. Let me just give you a quick summary of this. One of the sons, the younger son, came up and said, Dad, I don't want to live underneath your rules anymore. I want to go live life on my own. Give me part of my inheritance that I'm going to get from you. And I'm going to go out and live life my own way. And so the dad gave him his inheritance. And he went out and the son, he blew it. I mean, he was partying hard. He was, he was living hardy. You know, he was having all sorts of fun and just living high. And the father loved his son enough to allow him to hit bottom. Okay, he could see it was going to come. The amount of words that he would say to him would, would change the son's mind. So he allowed him to face these consequences of his sinful behavior. And then the Bible tells us that the son, when he was at the bottom, he couldn't get any further down. He finally woke up and came to his senses and said, My father's servants have it much better than I do. You know, they've got food. <clears throat> They're eating well. I'm out here living with the pigs. I'm dying here because of my bad choices. That's a paraphrase, but that's what, that's, what he, that's what he came to. The consequences of his decisions led him to the right decision. Okay, that's the only thing that led him to the right decision, and that was to go back and get back into the Father's good standing, to live under His ways. Living outside of God's will is never right. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Living outside of God's will, it can be fun. Okay, because sin, sin is fun. It can be fun for a little while. But eventually, its teeth are going to come out and it's going to bite you in the butt and you're going to reap the consequences. And that's what we need to, to remember. Someday we'll wake up like the prodigal son. We're going to be hurting, we're going to be in pain facing the consequences of these sinful decisions. Now, it's hard to watch somebody go through that, isn't it? I mean, it's not easy to watch somebody go through that. But something that we need to remember about this, and this is on your listening guide, is rescuing isn't always helping. Rescuing somebody from their consequences is not always helping. And parents, you know, some one of the most loving things you can do certain instances, is to be able to step back and say, I don't want to see you hurt, but if you keep making these kinds of choices, you're going to have to go down that road on your own. It's going to come back and get you. Rescuing isn't always helping. Now, this, this is where part of the tension comes in, because if, as soon as you don't rescue somebody who you've always rescued in the past... You know, an overly needy person that you've always rescued in the past, the first thing they're going to do to you is try to play the guilt card and say, you don't want me anymore. You don't love me anymore. Now, this isn't fair. And when you reach that point, you're going to have to make the very bold decision and say, you know what? I do love you. 
And because I do love you, I'm choosing not to help you. In that way at this time. It's called tough love for a reason. Now I think it's called tough love because it's tough for the recipient. It's called tough love because it's tough on the giver. That's where the tough love comes comes from there. So rescuing isn't always helping. Or, you know, you might have a roommate or you might even have a, a child who relies on you for their alarm clock. No, they get them out of bed because they can't get their lazy butt out of bed on their own. And so, you know, every day you're going in and you're trying to drag them out of bed and they're saying, oh, leave me alone, I want to sleep, you know, I don't want to do this. And you might get to a point where you say, you know what, I care about you enough that I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm going to stop doing this and we'll stop enabling you. You know, you may oversleep, you may miss the bus, you may miss school, you may be late to work, you may get fired from your job, but I'm not going to help you that way anymore. I'm not going to enable you in that way anymore. Because rescuing isn't always helping. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Some people always, they have to learn the hard way. And they have to learn on their own. They have to hit bottom so there's nowhere else to turn but up. And when they finally reach that point, you know, they can see that God's there and God is what they need and God will be there for them. So that's the tension. That's the tension that we have to balance in our life. We as Jesus followers, as people trying to help, we have to be sensitive to God's direction. And if you don't remember anything else that we've talked about today, this is going to take a big, big old load off your shoulders here, this, this next phrase. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Jesus is the Savior, not you. You do what He calls you to do, and then when God doesn't call you to do anymore... You don't feel guilty. You don't feel guilty about that. If you ever think that you were the necessary ingredient for somebody else's salvation, okay, you're trusting the wrong person. You're trusting the wrong person for, for salvation. Jesus is the right person. And at the end of the day, when somebody has nowhere else to turn, or they have nowhere else to look, they're eventually going to turn towards Him. They're eventually going to discover Jesus, that He is the one who will meet their needs, who will fulfill their needs. And you know, in a way, we're all in need, every single one of us. And you know, we may think that we have everything. We may think that you know, we've got everything in place, uh, that, that, uh, that life is good. But every one of us, we need forgiveness. And some people out there in the world, they will search and search and search and try things and all sorts of things. You can fill in the blank. They try all sorts of things to fulfill their needs, to fulfill their life with various things. But they still get to that point to where they find that they are still in need. That there's still something out there that is missing. And you know what it is? You know, if that describes you, you know what it is? You're in need of a, rela- of a relationship with God. That's what it is. Nothing else will satisfy. We may try to put all this stuff in our life, but it's not going to satisfy. God will ultimately satisfy. And the great news about this is God cares more about us than anybody else, you know, than you could ever imagine. That's how much He loves us and cares for us. 
That's why you're here today. That's why you're here. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart today. Maybe you've hardened it towards Him. Maybe you haven't stepped across that line and accepted Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. No, He's knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe you've already done that, but you're living life your own own way. You've hardened your heart towards His ways. And He's knocking, saying, let me back in. No, live, live for me. Live, live with me. Let me come in and help. And Jesus, He's knocking at the door of your heart today. All you got to do is say yes. Like I said, God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And His love was shown for us and He became a person. Came down to this earth in the form of Jesus. And He died on the cross so that all of our sins can be forgiven. And He rose up from the grave to give us power to live life the way that He wants us to live it so that we can do these things that the Bible calls us to do. Like helping people the right way. The only way we can do that is through God's help and through His power. So put your faith in Him. Put your faith in Him. Live your life for Him. He is all that you need. And we need to come to that realization. In just a moment we'll take a take some communion, have a time of communion. And we do this every week here to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so it'll be passed in front of you as soon as I pray and you just want to make it available to you. If you've already stepped across that line and Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, you're more than welcome to take part in communion today. But just take it in remembrance of Him. Use this as a time to commune with Him, to talk with Him, to see if there's anything that you need to do differently, any thoughts, any habits, any actions that you need to change in your life so that you can truly live for Him. Be the best Jesus follower possible. All right, let's pray.